Hi friends, welcome to Everything Women Don't Talk About. I'm Melissa Picar or Melissa Flynn, however you met me. This is a show for women who want to have real conversations about the things that keep us up at night, but we're just not having them. For women who want to know they're not alone, they're not crazy, and that they have a bunch of women who want to help them tackle the tough stuff. Listen, we're all craving real, so let's do it. Let's be real. Welcome back to Everything Women Don't Talk About. This episode is one that I have really been chewing on because it's like nothing else that has come my way. And the reason is because it falls into this category of if you would have told me I'd be dealing with this, (laughs) I would be stunned. And that is what these two women who are on our episode today uh, are dealing with exactly that. And I'm going to let them share their stories. But the intent, at least in my mind, is to to show how people with major issues that have arisen have had to completely change their life, switch gears, give up a lifestyle, an expectation, change what they're used to, the norms that they're used to. And I think we're going to learn a lot about resilience, especially it happens to be Christmas time or holiday time, when a lot of tough stuff tends to happen. And this just is a good time to to talk about how the ups and downs of lives can really throw us for a loop and it's how you manage it. And these two women are pretty incredible. So I'm going to let them dive in and tell their stories. Um, First, we've got Robin and a mom of two who's dealing with something that I don't think she ever saw coming, not for a million years. And Corey, mom of three, who similarly, but a very different story, probably didn't see this coming either for her. And I've learned so much from both of them and I think we all can. So I'm gonna dive right in and say, go for it, Robin, tell us your story. All right, so, Many years ago, my husband um, lost his job and he started his own business and became, you know, got kind of wrapped up in the entrepreneur thing. And I've been an entrepreneur and so I was very excited about it. And I've always just like been like, whatever, let's just flow with it. And I really haven't ever stopped him or myself from doing what we wanted to do. We've just really trusted each other. And um, he started this, what seemed to be a really incredible business um, that was really going to help the country like it was this this amazing um recycling idea and uh was really wrapped up in it involved we moved we moved to a very small city to uh work on it but what we didn't know is that his partner was uh a con man and was kind of like a serial con man he did this with many businesses and he would start these businesses and make a lot of money and then spend a lot of the money on himself but we had no idea And my family invested in the business, and we spent our life savings on the business, and uh, the business went down, and my husband went down with it, and the feds got involved, and, you know, that that morning, at 7 a.m. morning, when all the black cars pull up to your door that you see in movies, that happened to me, and um, when I say could never have imagined this coming, like, even when my husband was telling me things are going wrong and getting bad, I still never pictured what was to come. Um, the, the government wanted him to 
sign a plea deal. We did not. We did not want to because we didn't do it. But what we learned is that when the feds come after you, they always win, no matter what, because the truth is that none of us are uh, innocent. We're always. All of us are guilty of something, and the story can always be twisted to sound really bad. Um, and so. We, we knew that there was going to be consequences, but again, I could not wrap my head around what this could look like. And we went from, you know, living a very nice life to having no money at all. My husband was frozen in fear. He was afraid of his partner, what his partner might do. He didn't know what to do. And I had always trusted him and said, you know, it's going to work out because it always had worked out. But all of a sudden I'm like, this is not working out. And I had been working at home part-time for my whole career, for almost my whole career, for like 20 plus years. And I was like, I got to get a job. And I ended up finding a job like truly through Facebook, through like an old friend from middle school. Like it was the weirdest situation, but I ended up taking this random job in a, with a, it's a great company, but something I never expected to do in a different city. I left my kids with my husband. My husband became Mr. Mom I during this transition because I didn't want to take my kids out of school. And I started supporting the family. And let me tell you, the fear, like after not being in the workforce for 20-odd years, like it was intense. But now, you know, I, I'm living this life. I am supporting my kids. And actually, what I didn't say is that my husband, we ended up, we waited many years for the for the hearing for the sentencing hearing and I was prepared for three months of jail time mentally I thought that was going to be the max and the judge said 24 months and my sisters and my mom were with me and I literally fell to my knees and was screaming I, I could not believe it I'm like we are good people how can my husband be going to jail for two years he is such a good person and this doesn't happen to people like us. And uh, that moment was just so crushing. So yesterday we actually, I'm going to say celebrated, which is weird, but we actually celebrated our one year anniversary of him being uh, incarcerated. And I have lived through a year and now I'm on the other side of it. And I woke up this morning feeling so light. It was really weird. Like, I'm like, oh my God, I can see the light at the end of this very dark tunnel. So um, my kids are honestly doing amazing and kids are so resilient and, um, they have ri really risen to the occasion and th that, that's it. It's, uh, I, I would say one of the biggest challenges right now is that the people that don't know my story, I haven't wanted to tell my story to because it makes others really uncomfortable. And so I do find that I just kind of stay at home a lot because I don't necessarily want, I want to meet new people, but I don't want to tell them my story. So there's, I'm going to stop now and uh, let Corey talk. <laughs> Robin, first of all, I, I mean, I think it's safe to say that you're one of the most brave people. I mean, I sit here and I listen because you didn't ask for this. You didn't expect this. At the same time, you're good people and life just happened. And I think a lot of times we question why me, why us, right? I've done it. <laughs> So I think this this is one of these situations where it's kind of, it really did throw your entire life for a loop. I just am so grateful that you would share, frankly. Uh, I think it's ballsy and I appreciate it. <laughs> um, and thanks for sharing with us. And Corey, now we're gonna tell a little different kind of story. 
Okay, so mine started probably about two years ago was the big turning moment. Um, my daughter first told us that she was pansexual, which if you guys are anything like me, I had to look it up because I had no idea what it was. <laughs> um, it turns out, you know, she is, it's more encompassing than bisexual. She's attracted to all genders, male, female, trans, all that. And then about six months after that, I got a text message from her while I was at work saying she didn't feel like a girl. She felt like she was a boy. And I came home and tried to talk to her about it, but she didn't want to, so I dropped it. And then about three months after that, she came out completely as trans. Which, in and of itself, I can't say was a complete surprise because she has never been a girly girl. And she's also surrounded by brothers on both sides. The hard part was that she had been doing research on how to make the transition. And once she told us, she wanted everything to happen instantly. Now, we were very supportive, but there was still a part in the back of my head that kind of was like, oh, it's a phase. And I feel bad for saying that, but that's just, you know, it was kind of the end thing to do is to become trans. So I thought that. But it definitely was not a phase. And so we finally started therapy with her. And her therapist is very much like, oh, yes, she is definitely a boy. So now we get to start the whole medical side of it. And the hardest part for me has been telling family members. There are certain family members that we still haven't told because we know they will disown her. They will automatically just be, you know, it's abomination against God and all that. Luckily, being in Austin, we have a huge support system. But there are still a lot of people who don't understand it, and she still gets called names at school like it. And, you know, I will admit, even we slip and call her her instead of him. So while my story is not quite as tragic as Robin's, no offense, Robin, <laughs> I do have the other side of it where I'm watching her go through all of these struggles and I can't fix it. And as a parent, it just tears me apart. And I just, you know, I want to just announce to the world how amazing she is, but it's not my place to. I have to let her do it. And it is so hard to watch her struggle. So I have to ask you both because I, as I listen to these stories, two things happen to me. One is I stop feeling sorry for myself <laughs> because everyone has those moments of where you think, Oh, my life, my life, you know, whatever. But the second truly goes in another direction, which is what made you want to share? What made you both want to share? Because I think what I would say is both of your stories fall into what a lot of people would call family secrets in our, in our society, right? Yeah. That's oh, kind yeah. of what happened with me in terms of come, you know, sharing that I had put myself into a mental health institution for a bit like that's a family secret. We know we normally don't talk about that stuff. So what made you want to share 
Because while your stories are very different, to me, there's a lot in common about what the ambiguity that you're both dealing with and the unexpected sort of shifts in your life that you've had to make. And I'm sure there have been moments where you're like, holy hell, how am I going to make it through this? So maybe can you both talk about what made you want to talk about it? Um, I know that I wanted to share, well, for two reasons. One is that I think talking about it is very therapeutic um, when you feel safe to talk about it. Um, and I knew that this was a safe you know, space because this is what this podcast is for. But two, um, when I first, you know, found out that my husband was going to prison, um, I was connected to some people that have been through similar experiences, and those people saved me. Just, you know, we all have our own stories, and every story was different, but just knowing that I wasn't the only one, that someone that lived down the street from me that was in my same socioeconomic you know, class, quote unquote, that had a similar circle of friends and a similar upbringing had lived through the same thing. That really helps me. And I just feel like with with everyone that you have on this podcast, if we're putting this real, excuse me, shit out there, then hopefully someone else will say, wow, I'm not alone. And it's okay to talk because we, when we feel shame, we isolate ourselves. And I know that even though I talk a lot, I still have really isolated myself over this. And so I feel like the more that we can get out and build our villages, the stronger that we will all be and the kinder we will all be to each other. And the more we'll stop and think before we speak, because there's been so many times that people have said things that I'm just like, I cannot believe you just said that, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Because they don't see beyond themselves. And so, this is just kind of getting a lot of real stuff out there. No, that's, it's so true, Robin, because I think half the time when it's unspoken, it's almost worse. So then you walk around and you're kind of carrying it on your shoulders and it feels even more embarrassing. And then you're thinking, Hey, I'm a, I'm a good person. This just happened. I'm dealing with it like everybody else. And then of course the next minute you hear, Oh, I'm struggling with this. I'm going through a divorce. My parent did this. Right. So I think we're trying to open doors. I just, man, I applaud you for for talking about it, especially considering I I knew about your situation before and I had the same reaction you did, which was, you know, shock and awe. No way, right. So, I mean, (laughs) shock and awe. Uh, How about you, Corey? Obviously what Lily's going through, and is Lily now going by Lily anymore? It depends. For certain people, she'll go by Noah. And then for certain people, she still does Lily. She... The big thing when coming out as trans is that I can't tell people. She has to be the one to do. Right. And with some people, she's just not comfortable because of how they're going to react. You know, for me personally, like where I work right now, I've told some people there. And it has been amazing the response I've got. One girl, she was like, oh, yeah, my big brother used to be my big sister. So I got to talk to him, and he introduced himself to Lily and made himself available for her. You know, any questions, anything like that. So talking has helped us just dramatically. And Lily has 
friends who are gay or, you know, going through some sort of identity issues themselves. And I hear so many stories about how their parents are just net, net, and just close it off. And I, and then I see these kids and how they struggle then and how they feel bad about themselves. Yeah. And, you know, I would never want that for my child because regardless what she looks like on the outside, she's still the same person on the inside. And, you know, I would never want her to feel closed off or like she couldn't be who she wants to be because that's, you know, to me, that's just a recipe for disaster. And the thing is, you know, like we have, we took her down to uh, the Pride Festival in San Antonio as a bonding experience for the whole family. And it was amazing. What a great idea. And, you know, she got to be who she wants to be. And to see her like that, I can never imagine closing that off. And hopefully by talking, people will realize, you know, they're still the same person. If you accept them for how they, who they are, they're usually 10 times happier. All people want to do is be comfortable in their own skin and be who they're, I mean, that's the dream of all of us, right? You get to a certain point in your life and you finally say, oh, by the way, now from 13 to 42 or whatever, I wasn't comfortable, but now I am. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. right? So I hear you loud and clear. And I feel like that's part of what this is, is the reason we don't talk. And tell me if you agree or disagree with this idea. The reason a lot of times we don't talk and the reason we hide things is because we're not, I think part of it's we're not comfortable in our own skin. I think the other part of it is it's, it's a lot to tell people things when you know you'll be judged, when you feel that there will be judgment. But I think taking a step back from that, I mean, in your cases, you both kind of had a life Mack truck hit you, right? That's the way I thought about it after I heard both of your stories is you can have death happen in our lives. That's kind of a Mack truck moment. You can have, you know, major, major health changes. Both of your situations have Mack truck feeling to them, to me. So my question is how, what hit you hardest about that? We always question, I can't believe this is happening. Why did this happen? So what hit you hardest? Is it the is it the change in norms? Is it the ambiguity of life? What hits you as a human hardest when these huge unexpected situations fall in your lap? I, I gotta say for me, like honestly, shame hits you really hard. And the shame of it not being acceptable, uh, an acceptable norm. That is really, really hard. There's been so many times uh, because I am a talker, and I'm one that like, like likes to get up in front of a group of people and, you know, do weird things, and I'm always the one that people are like, I can't believe you just said that. Like, I'm not afraid to say things. There's been so many times that I've wanted to and had the opportunity to tell my story in such a powerful, impactful way, and I haven't because the person next to me said, you know, I don't know if I would. Like, this crowd could turn on you. And I know, Corey, that you are living this daily within your own family. I mean, I'm so blessed that my family has fully supported my husband. Both sides of our families have been nothing but amazingly supportive. Uh, but it's it's those other people that I feel like I could really connect with that I, it's the shame of it. And I just have to say one more thing, Corey, when you said, like, when you went and spoke and said, oh, my story 
doesn't seem as tragic as Robin's. I, I don't know if Melissa told you, but when she told me who I'd be on with, I said, I don't want to take the time away from her story because that's so much more powerful than my story. So I think that, <laughs> I think that that is kind of a subject change. I think that's just really interesting how we both thought that about the other person's story because honestly, when something happens to your child, <laughs> you can't protect them. And that is, that is, is so hard. Um, but that's, that's part of what hit me the hardest is how do I protect my child, my children from dealing with the shame of this and what do they tell their friends and how do their friends treat them and will their friends come over and it's similar ish probably to some of the things Corey that you're going through on a very different in a very different place but it's it's that type of how will other people interact with us it, mine is definitely obviously my family dynamic has changed where you know, it was always Lily and I versus the boys. Now it's me versus all the boys. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but I mean, it's like I said, she hasn't changed who she is. You know, she's still this amazingly awesome person. And the worst part is that I see what it does to her when she does tell somebody and they react poorly. And all I can do is support her. You know, I, as Andrew and I say, you know, we're just her cheerleaders. We are cheering her on. We are her support team. But, you know, the mama bear comes out and I want to fix everything. Yeah. And I can't. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I think it's true for so many situations like this, right? I mean, this is not at all related, but we recently lost our dog. And it has wrecked my children. I mean, I really, really wrecked my family in many ways. Like right now, everyone's a mess and it's coming out in awful ways. Like sadness at first, what are they, what are the degrees of grief, right? Or sadness, denial, anger, whatever. Right now I've got kids. I, I can't fix it. I, I mean, there's no dog I can put in the house right now that would fix that. Right. So, right. but the point is, is that we all sort of deal with our situations with a whole different, all these different ways of coping. And I feel like what, I learned from listening to both of your stories though, and what, and I want to share and ask you more about the, the coping side of this, because I've given a lot of thought recently to resilience. What allows us to get up and go on? What allows us to decide this is how I'm going to handle something when a Mack truck moment hits and move on? I guess I would love to know, you know, Robin, you used the, the phrase, I put Bob on a stick which made me laugh out loud when I read it, but it's stuck with me because you found a way to manage, a creative way to manage. And I'd love to know what keeps you guys going. What drives your resilience through all of this? Robin, you want to talk about Bob on the stick? Uh, well, I literally, I mean, I literally have Bob on the stick. I actually have six of them. So like all of our family households that we go visit have one. Um, it's his face we, on a stick, right? I, I ordered the six pack and I actually, I got the idea from a, a party we had had for my boss a few months before and we did it like as a selfie station. Like everyone came and like took a picture with my boss and I was like, I was thinking about, we went to, I committed to going to, to my husband's families for Christmas, which we did every single year in upstate New York. 
And I was like, I can't believe I have to do this trip. It was just a couple of weeks after he uh, was incarcerated. And I'm like, this is going to be so painful and sad. And we're going to be there for a week. And I can't, I can't handle that. Like, I, I have to figure out a way to nude. And so I brought my husband on a stick and it, it had helped so much. It made everyone laugh. And laughter really is such a great medicine and that is what I have found that has gotten me through all of this is finding the humor in it and finding the lessons in it and not being the victim not playing the victim because playing the victim brings you down and makes you negative and makes you like there's nothing I can do about it but there's a lot you can do you can't fix the situation but you can fix how you react to the situation and you can fix how you you know put yourself out there to other people to to make everyone embrace the situation in a more graceful way and so that's the, the laughter has helped me so much but you know what makes me get up and go on is a lot of this is little life moments that happened before this that I survived you know I, I went through a divorce and you know I've been living through the divorce helped me know that there's a light at the end of this tunnel too that like you do go through ups and downs and I think your first crash is your hardest because you can't see the light but after you've lived through something even if it's not nearly as big as what you're going through now you see the cycle and this too will pass you know the good and the bad it all evens out and that has really helps me get through it and I'm not saying that there's not terrible dark days because there are and my kids have seen me you know at my worst and I also have chosen total honesty like <laughs> so my kids know everything and have seen everything and I hope that's a good choice I don't know but it's it's all I got right now so, I um, love this notion of the first crash I just yeah. I mean you're right you are absolutely right. You can, you know, there's light if you've been through the first crash. That's awesome, yeah. Corey. What you got? I mean, I I have this image of Bob's head on a stick, so that's what got me through that one. But I'm sure you have ways of dealing with it too. Like, how do you? I mean, you guys are a great family. What do you do to to cope? How do you manage? Honestly, it's it's easier for me because of the fact that I watch Lily every day. Get up, go to school you know, get up and do her things. She told both of her brothers and both of them are very supportive, which helps because that was, aside from her dad and I, that was her biggest one I'm telling. She was really nervous about how they would react. And I mean, for me, it's just as long as she's going, I'm going. Hmm. She is the leader in this one. With some of the other stuff that we've been handed recently, you know, yeah, it's feels like one step forward, two steps back. But it's just, you know, to me, there isn't a choice but to keep going. As long as my kids are fighting, I'm right there with them. <laughs> I think that's a mother's mantra, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much so. Yeah, what's <laughs> that? I mean, it is, but it isn't. I, I think it's so beautiful, Corey, like you and your family, like the love and support you've given and not all families do that and that is so beautiful and I think that one thing that I find again like I'm like where is the commonality in our stories like but I mean there are a lot of commonalities but one of them is we've both chosen love 
over everything else. And I think that that is really a great and pure and powerful and beautiful thing. Wow. I could not agree more. And I have to say, you're both so inspirational to me. I mean, Corey, hearing your story, it is in today's day and age with so much judgment and being a teen watching it every day, it is the most painful thing to, to participate in as a parent and to watch. I, I mean, truly, I've said this before, but you literally could not pay me to be a teen in today's world. And what you're doing for her, him, however she and he would like to per, you know, be uh, perceived or represented is awesome. You are giving her a gift. Um, and Robin, I got to tell you, I think the way you've handled all this, I mean, again, talk about a Mack truck and amazing in true Robin style, you know, resilience, make it laugh, get through it. I admire you both. And I, um, we actually, believe it or not, have to close. This time flew by, but I want to say love, love each other, love your families. Boy, Robin, you summed that up so well to choose that, especially right now we're, we're staring the holidays down and it gets really tough. So when in doubt and you want to either throttle your family or you want to <laughs> give up because work's driving you crazy or whatever the situation is, try to love. Go be kind to each other. Go be real. Talk to your friends and family. Do something. Listen to these incredible women and realize that we're all going to have that first crash and there is light at the end of the tunnel. Stay tuned for the next episode. If you like what you're hearing, do me a favor, go on to iTunes and subscribe to this podcast or even better, write us a review. We need to keep these real conversations coming.